there's also a uh, sermon note that goes along with the sermon that is designed for them that they can grab. Uh, so today we are continuing in our series that we have titled The Exodus. Um, and in this series, we have been traveling with the Israelites from Egyptian captivity to freedom to the desert. And now we are headed towards the promised land. Last week in Joshua chapter 1, we learned that the leader of the Israelites, Moses, had died. And upon Moses' death, the mission, the plan, the purposes of God didn't end, but they continued on and a new leader was named. And that new leader is Joshua. And it was in the midst of transition, the sadness, the uncertainty of Moses' death that God called Joshua to lead the people forward to the promised land. And he called Joshua to do so with strength and with courage. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about what is courage and where does courage come from. We said and defined that courage wasn't the absence of fear, but it was the ability to overcome the fear and press on and where God was calling or leading. We spent the bulk of the message talking about how uh, courage is found in God alone. Courage isn't found in ourselves. It's not found in the world. It's not found in other people, but courage is found in God and who he is. It is found in who he is, it's found in his presence, it's found in his word, and it's found in his promises. So Moses dies, the mission presses on, and Joshua and the people are called to find their courage in God who has promised the land and who is with them. But there's a couple of large obstacles that sit immediately in front of the Israelites, between them and the promised land. The first of those obstacles is the Jordan River, which at this time of the year is at, uh, is at flood stage. The second of those obstacles is the heavily fortified city of Jericho. And Jericho sits just a few miles west of the river, and it is the gatekeeper to all of the land of Canaan. They could not advance into the land without first dealing with the city of Jericho. These are two seemingly impossible obstacles for the people, and yet Joshua calls them and begins taking steps towards the promised land. So that's where we pick up in Joshua chapter 2. God is calling the people forward, and we are going to see he is already moving and preparing the way. And we're going to see that he is about to use some unlikely and obscure people to accomplish his purposes. But before we get to Joshua 2, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture where we see your presence and your goodness. God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture where we see your faithfulness. God, we thank you that you call and use unlikely and obscure people. God, we thank you that you desire to save all people. And so, God, I just pray that through uh, this passage of Scripture, we would see your goodness and your faithfulness, that we would see a glimpse of our story within it, that we were reminded of the forgiveness we have experienced. God, if there's someone here that feels like perhaps they are too far gone for your forgiveness, Lord, that they would see that you, uh, that you save those that are lost, those that are far from him. And that's who you came to save, and that's who you desire to save. So, God, I pray if there's anyone here like that, Lord, that they would put their faith in you for the first time. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Joshua chapter 2, uh, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. He said, Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. All right, well, there's a lot there in that first verse. Uh, and the first thing we see here is that faith is active, but it's not blind. 
God has called Joshua and the nation to be strong and courageous. He has called them to trust him and walk forward in faith. But this isn't blind faith. Joshua trusts God. He plans to take the people forward, but he also uses common sense, and he sends out spies to scout the city where they are headed. I think sometimes when we think of faith, we tend to fall on one extreme or the other. Some believe that faith is just blindly sitting back and trusting God to just take care of everything magically. Right? We don't read the Bible because God will give us his words when we need them. We don't make a budget because God will provide what we need. We don't search for a job when we need a job or when we need work because we believe God will just drop a job in our lap. We don't serve unless God shows up and writes on the wall that we need to serve. Faith can go to such an extreme that we use it as an excuse to not do anything and not take any personal responsibility. On the other hand, some of us have no faith, and we try to take care of every detail, every possible problem. We try to control everything, and we leave no room for God to work or provide. We don't ever take a risk or try anything that God is leading us to do uh, if, it's all, if it's at all out of our control. The faith we are called to is somewhere in between those extremes. We are called to trust God, but we are also called to live out his instruction and trust him to provide and lead as we seek him. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that these spies enter the house of Rahab, a house of ill repute. This is not where we want to see our heroes, our spies, headed. And while this seems to shake our confidence at first, there seems to be no evidence of wrongdoing by these spies in this episode. And we're going to see that God is going to use this place to save the souls of Rahab and her family, as well as preserve the line of Jesus. Some commentators have some practical explanations for this episode. Uh, some commentators uh, explain it that these spies were likely trying to blend in where, where other uh, men and other travelers would first visit. Other commentators say they were on the run, and this is the home, the first door that they slipped in to escape. Whatever the reason, we don't know, but we do know that God has them there for a reason. He is going to use it for Rahab's good and his glory. Another thing we see in this story is that God, before he brings destruction and judgment on the city, he always offers a lifeline. He always offers an opportunity to repent before judgment comes. That's a pattern that we see over and over in the Old Testament. We see it in the story of Noah. We see it through the angels at Sodom and Gomorrah. We saw this in Egypt. God's mercy is on display in his actions towards Rahab. And this declares good news to all the people of Jericho. To any that will take refuge in God, they will find salvation from God's righteous judgment. All right, that's a loaded verse. And I've got one more thing I want us to see in this first verse. And that's our first point today. And that is that God uses regular people for his glory. I think some of the most fascinating, some of the most amazing people in the Bible are those whose stories are told and yet they go unnamed. We don't know who these spies were, but when God called them to go, they got up and they went. And throughout the Bible, we see that God so often isn't looking for the exceptional, but he is looking for the willing and for the obedient. Uh, right now, we're kind of in a, a phase where we're reflecting on this past five years of our life as a church. And our church isn't necessarily filled with stories of the exceptional, but it is instead filled with regular people just like you and I. It's filled with regular people who travel to Green River, Wyoming to serve and to remodel a church. It's filled with uh, regular people who had never heard of this town that gave to see a church started here. It's filled with regular people who volunteered or led a ministry that they felt unprepared for. 
Our story isn't filled with the exceptional, but it is filled with a lot of obedient, regular people that said yes when God called. And that's the pattern of the Bible, and that's the pattern of ministry. Bob Goff said two of the most evil words in our vocabulary when we talk with God are these. And they're the two words, someone else. We often assume God wants to use someone else so we don't respond. We often assume that someone else would be better than us, is more qualified than us, has more time than us, is more able than us. And we brush off God's call and we tell him, please send someone else. Use someone else. When God calls, are you willing to say yes? Or is your response, send someone else? When God calls you to serve, to share Jesus, to pray for someone, to give to someone, to take out the trash, to go, to do whatever it is, is that your What is your response? Is it send someone else or yes? And it is the obedience like these spies. Is it obedience like these spies or is it to question God's wisdom? My favorite example of this, uh, of God using ordinary people, comes from Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19, Luke writes this. He says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word of Jesus among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, and they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So the church of Antioch, the greatest uh, church planting, church start story we have in the Bible is planted by a bunch of unnamed people. It is planted, it is started by a bunch of thems. I love that. God uses them. He uses ordinary people who are obedient to him to do great things for his glory. God uses obedient people like you and I to advance his kingdom, to share the greatest message the world has ever known uh, with the world around us. Are you willing to be obedient for God's glory and not your own? Okay, verse 2. That's a lot in verse 1. We're in verse 2. It says, the king of Jericho, who was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went to go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. This is one of those stories that if anyone ever tells you that the Bible is boring, uh, you can know that they are not reading it. I read a commentary that talked about the suspense that is being built throughout this story. It begins with Joshua sending out two spies. We saw the problem that spies caused 40 years ago. This alone, this should make us nervous that we are going through this same pattern again. We see these spies, these two spies, they slip into a house of ill repute. This is not where we want to see them going. Then we hear that the king, the secret police are after them. These men are on the run and now they have laid down to hide under stalks of flax on the roof. Now, stalks of flax, that doesn't mean much to me, 
But to the reader then, it did. Because it was from stalks of flax that funeral linens were made. And so this comes as a sign. It seems a sign, a hint of what their destiny is. They are headed for funeral linens. It seems that death for these spies is imminent. And then we hear the city gates shut. There's no escape available. Right? This is the early Hebrew literature version of a chase scene in every uh, adventure or action movie we have. Right? If you've seen the, the latest Top Gun, this is Maverick and Rooster trying to escape from enemy territory. There is need, seemingly no hope for our heroes. But we read on, verse 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We've heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. All right, let's stop right here. Our, our second point is here, and that is that God desires to save all people, and he saves unexpected people. Throughout this series, we have seen God do the miraculous we have seen his power and mercy through the plagues. We have seen it through the crossing of the Red Sea. We've seen it through battles. We've seen it through his provision of manna and quail. There is no question of who the God of the universe is. He has revealed himself and word of his might has spread. The people of Jericho have heard of Israel's God. They are aware that they are now camping on the other side of the Jordan River and they are nervous. They are scared. And we see here what we saw in the book of Exodus, and that is that God desires to save all people. He reveals himself to all people, and he offers salvation to any and all that will turn and follow after him. And I think that is the primary reason for this spy mission. As we read on, we don't hear of any great intel that is gathered on this mission. But we do hear of a woman and her family that were saved because of the mission. Rahab, more than anything, is the point of this mission. God sent these men to save her and her family because she had believed. God reveals himself to all people and he offers salvation, life, forgiveness of sins to any and all that will follow after him. And so often it is the unexpected. It is those with a checkered past in the eyes of the world that will humble themselves and trust God. It's here in this land of opposition, in this land of hostility, in this land of evil, that God saw one woman with a checkered past that was open to him. This one woman of faith that was ready to repent and follow him, and he sent the spies to rescue her. God sees the heart. God cares about the heart, and he offers salvation and forgiveness of sins to any and all that will turn and trust him. The gospel, the hope of the Bible, is not that we clean ourselves up and we come to God, but the gospel, the hope of the Bible, is that you and I have sinned, you and I are separated from God, and there is nothing we can do about it. So God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin and make a way. God desires to save all people and people through Jesus. And through Jesus, he has made a way for any and all that will repent to find hope in him. Right, the reality is we are Rahab in this story. We have all sinned. We are all separated from God. We are all under his condemnation because of our sin. We all deserve death, but God in his love and mercy has made a way because he sent Jesus just as he sent the spies. 
God desires to save all people. He reveals himself to all people. He offers salvation and eternal life to any and all that will repent. Verse 12. Rahab said, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men's assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was a part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own hands. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a, if a hand is laid on them. But if, we tell you what we, but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she died, tied the scarlet cord in the window. So what is it that saves Rahab here? It is her faith in God. And that's our next point, salvation comes through faith. The Oxford Dictionary defines faith as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Rahab here shows complete faith, complete trust in who God is, in his power, and she trusts that he will save her and provide for her in the midst of destruction. She trusts her life, her future to God. And it is that same faith that is required for us to experience salvation, to experience forgiveness of sins and eternal life today. Salvation is not a just-in-case thing. It is a complete surrender, a complete trust, a complete faith in God that saves. Rahab has faith that God will save her despite the calamity and the destruction that is going on all around her. I think if I was in Rahab's shoes, I would have demanded that the spies take me with them. I would have demanded safety and salvation immediately. But it says she has so much faith in God, so much trust in God that she stays and she trusts that God's going to save her in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the destruction. That's a real picture of what faith and salvation looks like in our lives today. When we trust God to save us, to forgive us of our sins, to grant us eternal life, we are not taken to heaven in that moment. Instead, we are left here in the midst of the chaos the evil, the hardships, the challenges of life on earth in a broken world with a broken humanity. And it's in the midst of that chaos and hardship that God promises to provide for us, to be with us, and ultimately deliver us as he did Rahab. Paul sums this up in Ephesians 2. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved by grace, which is God's free gift, when we put our faith, our trust in God as his gift, in his gifts. But he doesn't in that moment, as we said, teleport us to heaven, but we are left here on earth to live out our faith, to live out the good works which he has prepared for us to do. God doesn't save us for ourselves, but he saves us to proclaim his good news, his hope to the world around us. 
When Rahab was saved, it wasn't her alone that experienced God's salvation, but she invited her family to join her in her home, to also place their faith in God. And when they did, they too were saved. God hasn't saved you just for you, but he has saved you with a purpose. He has saved you to live out and do his good works. He has saved you to shine his light through the way you live and to share uh, his good news with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends, and all that you encounter. You, like Rahab, have been saved from your sin by grace through faith, and God has a purpose for you. A purpose that takes an ordinary sinner like you and I and turns us into proclaimers of the greatest news this world has ever heard. God has saved us by faith and called us to action. Look at verse 21. Rahab agreed. She said, let it be as you say. So she sent the spies away and they departed. And then she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Immediately when the spies left, Rahab actively lived out her faith. She trusted God would provide and she showed that trust and she immediately went and tied the scarlet cord in the window. I don't think that the the scarlet color uh, color of the cord is an accident. Right? It was the scarlet blood of the lamb that in faith had saved the people at Passover when we studied it a few weeks ago. And it is the scarlet blood of Jesus that is a substitute for our sin if we place our faith in him. But it takes action. It takes faith to believe that Jesus has paid the price for my sin and to trust him to save us. In James chapter 2, he says, faith without action is dead. James says you can't have faith in God and then not follow in the way you live. In that passage, he cites Rahab as an example of this kind of faith. She believed in God, but she didn't stop there. She lived it out. She obeyed. She tied the scarlet cord to her window. She hid the spies. She helped them escape. And then she went and she gathered her family in her home, trusting that God would save when the attack came. She believed, and then she acted and lived out her faith. That's why steps of obedience can be so significant in our lives. It is an act of faith. It's putting our faith in action. For many, baptism can be this tying of the cord moment. That action that not only declares their faith to the world, but it declares their faith, their new identity to themselves. Baptism itself doesn't save us. Faith in Jesus alone saves, but it can serve as that action. That stand in our life that solidifies and declares that decision. For others, sometimes the action is a step of faith that calls us to leave behind an environment of temptation or sin. It leads us to pour the the temptation down the drain or or move the computer or break the relationship or leave the job that is leading us to sin. Our faith is evidence in the action of of changing the way we spend our time, the way we spend our resources, the way we serve and volunteer, the way we share the hope of Jesus with others. As you look at your life, is your faith evidenced in your actions? Are you like Rahab, living out your faith? Or is it just something you do on Sundays or just that intellectual practice in your life? Is your faith affecting the way you live? The Bible is clear that faith should transform and change the way we live. And Rahab is a wonderful example of this. All right, let's wrap up the story and then we'll wrap up Rahab's story. Verse 22. When they left, the spies left, they went into the hills and they stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us the whole whole land into our hands. 
All the people are melting in fear because of this. One quick note before we conclude Rahab's story. Look at the message of the spies. The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. God here gives the people confidence to press on in their faith. So often in our lives, when we get to that point where we feel like we can't follow, we can't, we can't uh, press on any farther, God grants us that glimmer of hope, that vote of confidence. Sometimes he reminds us of past faithfulness. Sometimes he reminds us through scriptures of who he is in his presence. Sometimes he reminds us through his promises or the encouragement of a friend. But God gives us what we need to press on in our faith. God doesn't call us to blind faith, but he calls us to walk forward with him in confidence. All right, let's wrap up uh, Rahab's story because this isn't the last time we read her name in the Bible. I mentioned the James passage already, but in Hebrews eleven thirty one, she is commended for her faith in a passage of scripture that we call the Hall of Faith. It reads, by faith, uh, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. The author of Hebrews says it was her faith that saved her. And we read that same account in, jo- we read that account in Joshua 6. But that's not the end of Rahab's story. In Matthew chapter 1, her name reappears in the midst of the family genealogy of Jesus. Matthew 1 begins like this. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amimadab, Amimadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So somewhere along the line, a man named Salmon came along and he married Rahab. Some Jewish traditions say that Salmon was one of those two spies. They had a son named Boaz. You might remember that name because he becomes the kinsman redeemer, the husband of Ruth. And it was from that line that King David was born. This means that Rahab, the Canaanite woman in Jericho with a checkered past that was saved by faith in God, was the great-great-grandmother of King David. You take that farther, and she was the great-great-great, I don't know how many, grandmother of Jesus. And look at this transformation we see in her and her story. In Joshua 2, she is described by her occupation, by her sin. In Joshua 2, her family consists of her parents and her siblings, But when we meet her in Matthew 1, we find that she is married. She is a mother and she is a grandmother. When she placed her faith in God, her life, her story was redeemed. But more than her family, we saw that in Joshua 2, it is her sin, it is her occupation that defines her. She was a person of ill repute when we meet her. But Matthew doesn't define her in that fashion, does he? Instead of defining her by her sin, she is simply defined by her relationship to Jesus. Her sin is who Rahab was, but when she puts her faith in God, she went from sinner to saved, from ill repute to a forgiven child of God. That's the same thing that God desires to do in your life, in my life as well. So that's our final point as we wrap up. God turned sinners into saints. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul lays out this transformation in our lives. He says, do You not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor 
adulterers, nor men who have relations with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul lists all these sins, and he says, that is what some of you were. Paul lays out this list of sins, and then he points the finger at you and I, and he says, that's who you were. We were all sinners. We were all separated from God. We were all dead in our transgressions. We were all wrongdoers who would not inherit the kingdom of God. We were all Rahab until we placed our faith in Jesus. And now that we have placed our faith in Jesus, Paul says those things no longer define us. He continues on. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Paul says, your sin, like Rahab, once defined you. But that's not who you are any longer. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. You have been forgiven. You are no longer found guilty of your sin. In Jesus, you are not a sinner, but you are forgiven. You are righteous. You are loved. You, like Rahab, are now a child of God. What a beautiful picture of faith of salvation, of the transformation that God offers to any and all that will trust Him. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you are no longer defined by your sin or your past. You don't have to walk in that guilt and shame any longer because that's not how God sees you. He said, God says, you are free. You are forgiven. He says, you are chosen. You are loved. You have a purpose and a mission. And he calls us in him to walk forward in that freedom, in that reality. I love that. Rahab was once defined by her sin. But when she trusted God, that's no longer what defined her. Now the only thing that defines her is who she is in him. And that is forgiven and chosen. So as we wrap up, uh, there's a lot of places we can be in this story. Melinda, she's going to come and she's going to close for us and give us a chance to reflect. But as we wrap up, what is it that God is calling you to today? Maybe for you, God is calling you to trust him and to put your faith in him for the first time. Maybe you feel like you are too much of a sinner. You are too far gone to ever be forgiven. Let Rahab's story remind you that you cannot be too far gone. That God has sent Jesus because he loves you to die in your place and you can be forgiven in him. That's you. Would you surrender and trust him for the first time today? Or would you come and talk to me? I'd love to share with you what that means to follow him. Or maybe, maybe God's calling you to, to trust him, to walk forward in faith with whatever challenge you're facing in your daily life. He's calling you to walk forward in obedience, trusting that he is able and can handle whatever it is you're going through. Maybe God's calling you to trust him, to, to be used by him. He's calling you to something specific, and he's asking you to step out in obedience and say yes. Maybe God is just calling you today to find your identity in him and who he calls you to be. Find your identity not in what you were, not in your sin of the past, but in who you are in him as forgiven and chosen. I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray, Melinda's just going to play for a couple minutes. I just ask you to bow your head and reflect, and then we'll close out. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that in our sin, you didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't leave us separated from you. You didn't leave us uh, uh, apart from heaven. But in our sin, you loved us and you sent Jesus to come and to die the death our sin deserved. 
Just as you saw Rahab in the midst of this, this city that was wicked and evil, you saw her and you saw her faith and you went and rescued her. Lord, you have seen us in our sin, in our desperation. You've sent Jesus to rescue us. God, I pray if there's anyone here that has never experienced that rescue, God, that they would surrender their lives, they would repent and follow you today. That they would experience your forgiveness, your eternal life, your, your glory, your goodness today. God, I pray for those of us here that are followers of you. God, I pray that we would, uh, first of all, Lord, that we'd be willing to be used by you, that we would be obedient when you call. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, see beyond our sin and see who you say we are. God, that we would no longer be a people that are defined by our past and by our sin, but we would be defined by you. That we would be defined by who you say we are. That we would be defined by the forgiveness we have experienced. That we would be defined by, 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 uh, by being a child of the God of the universe. That we would be defined that because we are washed white as snow. That we would be defined by the freedom you have given us in you, Lord. And that we would walk forward in that, trusting and obeying you. God, we thank you for who you are. May we trust you. May we walk forward in faith today. In your name we pray.